On this prequel episode, we've got our Goodfellas fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Cinderella and previewing Ever After. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel episode, which we do every other week. I say that every time like it's a surprise. Like it's a, wow, it's another prequel episode. Who saw that coming? They <laughs> happen every two weeks. Uh, but we did finally, after over a week of voting and very, very competitive bracket Katniss. That's Katniss. I'll put her in the bedroom. <laughs> Katniss yelling at the door. And after some intense competition, we have a winner, which we will discuss in just a little bit. I mean, I already said it in the title. And if you follow us on social media, you already saw what won. But we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Before we get to that, we have to start, like we always do, with our patron shout-outs. We have one new patron. Not really new, but an upgrade, which we put in the new patron category. Going from the $5 uh, Hugo Award winning level up to the $15 Academy Award winner level, we have Teresa Schwartz. That's my mom. It's your mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Thank you. That's fantastic. We appreciate it. Uh, you can now you get to recommend it. Has she recommended something? Did she like text you? Um, no, but I do have a recommendation that she asked me for like a while ago. Before she was a $15 yeah. patron, she thought she could just sneak it in because she's your mom. I mean, I, a, mo- a mom request is also a good request, fair. I think. Fair. And as always, we have our list of Academy Award winning patrons, and they are Paul, Kat Ensminger, Ben Wilcox, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country. Cinderella is the best Cinderella. Cinderella is a close second. Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young, Scratch, Just Scratch, Shelby Says Monsters and Mayhem is out now. That Darn Skag, V Frank, Scorsese should have listened to his gut and stayed away from gangster movies. At least this isn't The Irishman and Alina Starkov. So apparently uh, our two name change patrons, one of them disappointed that ever after one based on their name. I mean, I know they're just making a joke, but like they didn't put ever after in there. So I'm thinking they were hoping for either one of the one of the Cinderella's to win. Uh, And then uh, our other one, uh, which we'll get to here just a second in our listener follow up, but uh, not a fan of Goodfellas and. I have not seen The Irishman, so I cannot compare it. It's on Netflix, but it's like four hours long. It is also based on a book. Is it a book? So we might have to do it at some point. I actually, yeah, because it is. I know that I remember hearing about the like the guy it's based on, Mm -hmm. like the yeah. And I think I think the book has like a completely different title. I believe it it does, Uh, but it's also um, that movie's like four hours long. Mm, Yeah, that doesn't sound maybe not four hours long, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's I'm pretty sure it's like three hours long. It's like longer than. Goodfellas or The Godfather, but Please, Hollywood. Also, it's a I've tight heard it's, ninety. I've heard it's okay from some people. I've also heard from other people that they didn't like it. So I don't know. I don't know what. I I have no interest in watching it. To be <laughs> fair. <laughs> but anyways, thank you all to our amazing uh, Academy Award winning patrons. You're the best. Time now to find out what people thought about Goodfellas. Yeah. Well, you know that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, so we didn't have tons of feedback this week. I think this poll might have gotten buried by all of the uh, Cinderella yeah, bracket polls. Yeah, seems likely. Yeah. 
Um, but we did get some feedback. On Patreon, we had one vote for the book and two for the movie. Scorsese should have listened to his gut and stayed away from gangster movies. At least this isn't The Irishman, said. The movie falls into all the worst gangster movie cliches of glorifying macho posturing and substituting it for depth of character. Pesci is a worthy nominee, but Leota is truly terrible. If you are going to make a story that skirts a fine line with glorifying the bad, you need a talent like DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street or you lose the nuance. Gotta vote the book because there's definitely no Ray Liotta. Interesting. I mean, I, I, I thought he was fine. I, I thought he was fine. I don't fine. have any strong feelings I don't think about he, his he, performance. Yeah, that, I would say the same <laughs> thing. I don't have strong feelings either way. I don't think he's particularly like amazing in any yeah. way that's like, you know, sticks out. But I also didn't think he was particularly bad. Um, and I, I, I don't necessarily disagree that because I remember mentioning in the prequel that I thought that, you know, compared to some even like the Godfather or maybe not. I don't know. I maybe not compared to the Godfather, but like I do think that this that this movie still does fall into the trap, which I think Scorsese intentionally didn't want it to. That I think it, it does still fall into the trap of being very easy to read wrong, mm-hmm. like and to just sort of watch it as like a glorifying portrayal yeah. of I the, think, the mafia yeah, lifestyle. I think by the end, we're not like supposed to want to be right Henry Hill, but. I don't know if that's as clear as it is in some other properties that do the same thing. Yeah, I I would I would agree that not as deftly handled. It's not maybe quite not as as well handled. Um, But but even then, like even he, you know, he says he he mentions. I say he. I don't know the the gender of this name 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 change patron. (laughs) They um, they mention like Wolf of Wall Street and DiCaprio, and I agree that that movie does the same thing. You know, it's a similar idea. It's Mm -hmm. you know, it's all about. Um, the system that creates a person like this and and the the sort of tragic, horrifying um, road they go down. Uh, But there's plenty of people, plenty of horrible people who look at the Wolf of Wall Street as aspirational, like tons of them. So, you know, even I I guess my, my slight pushback is that even this example you cited of like, oh, where an actor does a really good job portraying this character and it's handled a little bit better, um, you know, uh, of skirting that line of glorifying like bad people, even that I think you could make the same argument that I, I don't think it's that. I, again, D- DiCaprio is a much better. I guess your point is taken that DiCaprio is a much better actor than Ray Liotta is, but I still don't know if that makes the difference in in pushing it over. I, I, to me, I think it's it's and we've talked about this a lot with the, you know with things like Fight Club and stuff where it's at some point you can only make the movie. Like you can only tell the story so yeah. explicitly without losing any of the craftsman, like yeah. before you start losing the craftsmanship and it just becomes and, and like just a PSA, like, yeah, like about ending the, yeah, the moral to your audience. Yeah. And, and, and it is a fine line and like, there is something to be said about that, but you know, you can only go so far before you, it becomes a joke and, and the audience feels like they're being, yeah. Like they're watching a PSA about mm-hmm. like, these are bad people. Don't be like them. Um, there is something interesting if you can skirt that line, but still clearly come down on one side. And I do think, uh, you know, ultimately that Goodfellas does ultimately <laughs> kind of fall on that line of, uh, while glorifying ish at times, 
it's very i think it because it's pretty clear uh, as you watch the whole film and get to the end that this is not an aspirational tale but well and i think it is also complicated by this being a, about a real person yeah and something that more or less actually happened right so it's not gonna end with him like getting shot in the street <laughs> right or yeah 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 he does kind of have to follow at least to some extent the actual events how mm -hmm. they played out which is he you know he just goes in the witness protection it's a it's a an, an uh, it's a boring ending like it's a you know yeah. it's a non-glorified it's like a uh, non um it doesn't glorify it but it also doesn't like put a harsh right. like well he i mean he kind of gets away yeah with he kind of gets so. away with it and but you know but he doesn't get to keep living the, i don't know it's complicated i get point taken interesting conversation anyways uh over on facebook we had one vote for the book and four for the movie james said i admittedly have not read the book but i'm voting for the movie simply because it is considered a classic is a part of the congressional national film registry and its loss in the 1991 best picture category is considered one of the biggest travesties in oscar history all that shows that there are very few books and movies more revered than goodfellas yeah i mean fair enough it is a, a very i had to look up what it lost to did it lose to Dances with Wolves? It lost to Dances with Wolves. I have not seen Which Dances with I haven't Wolves, seen it to be fair, so I do not it, know. It sounds like something that probably didn't age well. Yes, my guess would be Dances with Wolves has aged <laughs> very poorly in, uh, compared to Goodfellas. If I had to, I mean, it, it definitely feels like one of those things that falls into some yeah. <laughs> very age-old, terrible uh, sort of white savior tropes and whatnot. Uh, again, having not seen an, yeah. a, a second of Dances with Wolves, I don't, I don't know. Don't come at me if you <laughs> like that movie. I don't know. I'm just saying it seems like from a, a cursory sort of outside view. But anyways. On Twitter, we had zero votes for the book, nine for the movie, and one listener who couldn't decide between the two. Brian Soilo said, I tried to get through this book looking for more details on the story after seeing the movie and just had a really tough time. It reads more like a news article and with the fast paced fever dream action of the movie, it couldn't hold my attention. Movie for me by a bunch. And I think that's fair. It's definitely a very like it was written by a journalist. Yeah, I mean that's what you, you mentioned yeah, that you several times tell. in the in the episode that it is very uh, journalisticy. Yeah, and feel. if if that's not your vibe, you're probably not going to enjoy the experience of reading the book. Now, I will say that I, I don't think I mentioned this, but as I was reading it, I was also listening to the audiobook, mm -hmm. and I think that probably helped me along a little bit because yeah. it, it was I was able to more feel like I was listening to like a true crime yeah, like podcast, a podcast or yeah. something, yeah. Um, rather than just like sitting and reading a very long news article. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, so maybe try that. Yeah, you know, you never you know. know. You never know. And Kelly Napier, uh, the patron who requested mm -hmm. this film, said, The whole movie feels like a fever dream, especially as Henry Hill and his wife spiral down as the film progresses. It's a masterclass in immersive filmmaking because I always feel like I'm traveling the path with him. It never lets up from the first beat, and I love it. I do agree. The frenetic pace of the editing and, and the, the nature of how it's shot... Um definitely brings you along for the ride in a way that is very compelling so and i'm i'm glad we were able to agree on this one kelly <laughs> yes 
On Instagram, we had zero votes for the book and 12 for the movie. Yeah. Instagram polls are always interesting. Yeah. I feel like they differ from the other polls in a strange way every time. I, I wonder, it's it's weird too, because it doesn't seem like it would, it's, it's not on Instagram that it goes out to more people. More people would be, the one that would have the most... The one that would have the most reach to like people who aren't already would following be Twitter. us would be Twitter. I would yeah. think, yeah. Because you do it as stories on Instagram, which you right. would have to be following us to see. I think I so. Think. Yeah. Unless I don't know other ways that you could see stories. But and I think you have to be following us. And there's not a way to like share stories on Instagram. No. So. No. And, and um, I don't know anybody who scrolls through like the For You page on Instagram. I don't know. Assuming there is like a For You page or something. I mean, there is, but it's posts it's not stories that's what i mean yeah, it's but like posts and reels i know it's not posts but like even still I, yeah i just don't know how anybody would stumble across it so it has to yeah, be our listeners know. yeah probably so maybe this is the best metric maybe it is the know. most accurate i don't know it's interesting <laughs> anyway um doug m campbell on instagram said i haven't read the book but i'll add it to my list goodfellas is one of my all-time favorite movies and i enjoyed hearing the episode Here's a fun fact. Apparently, the comedy My Blue Heaven is based on Henry Hill's life and witness protection. You two might want to check out the, check that movie out if you like Steve Martin. Somebody else mentioned this. I, somebody else mentioned it somewhere, and then I didn't get to respond to it, and then I couldn't find it again Yeah, I, because social media is a nightmare. I thought it was on Facebook or something. It might have been. Somebody, oh, like somebody, maybe on the episode else post, mentioned somebody mentioned My Blue uh, Heaven, My Blue Heaven. Uh, and I looked it up, and, it, and it, it's not remotely described as... Like, like, it's just, you know, like, there's nothing on, like, the synopsis or anything that mm -hmm. mentions anything about, like, Henry Hill or anything. But it is about a guy from the mafia in witness protection, so very likely could be. Um, and assuming this person's information is correct, that would make sense. Uh, but it's uh, it's Steve Martin, and uh, they left out the other half of this is, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. Um the guy uh, Rick Moranis. Oh. Which would be interesting. Like yeah. I love Rick Moranis and so that could be I also like Steve Martin, so it might be fun. Who knows. All right. So our listener polls winner was the movie with 27 votes to the book's two plus one undecided. Uh the book got a little more trounced than I thought it might. Not me. I was expecting that. I, I mean, I, nobody I was knows it's based on yes. a book. I mean, I was expecting the movie to win by a lot, but I yeah. thought we might get like a couple more book votes. I mean, I guess, but I was expecting something in the ballpark of one or two votes for the for the book and the movie getting the rest of them because yeah, right, almost right. And nobody I, I even think, is yeah, aware this one is definitely like swayed by the fact that probably not a lot of people have read the book, but a lot of people have seen a lot the of movie. people have seen the movie. It's it's yeah, it's it's one of the uh, it's an American classic. All right. Time now to learn quite a bit about Cinderella. I got excited. <laughs> no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. OK, so Cinderella. Cinderella is a folktale with thousands of variants throughout the world. Uh, a recognizable version of Cinderella appears in dozens and dozens of cultures globally and historically. Um, and in modernity, it's one of the most frequently retold and reimagined fairy tales like ever. Throw a stone, you will hit a version of Cinderella. Uh, Cinderella's Arne Thompson Uther Index type is 510A, uh, which is a subtype of 510, the persecuted heroine. 
Um, other folktale subtypes that fall under 510 include Donkey Skin and The Princess in the Chest, if you're interested in reading things that are like Cinderella but aren't Cinderella. Interesting. And it's a brief reminder for people who aren't. So you have mentioned the, yes, the Arn Thompson yeah. Uther Index when we discussed. Um, I talked about it when we discussed Tangled and then again when we talked about Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Um, so this is yeah, a, is it? it's a folklore uh, folklore science, folklore studies classification system. So basically it's this big long list that um, sorts different folk tales into common types that we see repeating throughout history in different cultures. Yeah. Cinderella is considered one of the oldest known folk tales because it's one of the oldest that we have record of. Uh, folk tales were, of course, originally an oral tradition, uh, and the oldest known version of Cinderella is the tale of Rhodopis. Uh, Rhodopis is an ancient tale about a Greek slave girl who marries the king of Egypt. Uh, the story was first recorded by the Greek historian Strabo, I think, in the late first Greek, century so, BC. Greek. I do um, speak modern Greek. <laughs> Just never do it on the podcast. Um, uh, in the late first century BC or the early first century AD. Um, however, the Greek historian Herodotus. Um, Herodotus. Herodotus. I, I don't know if that's correct. That's how I've always heard it said, okay. to be fair. It was Herodotus. Uh, Herodotus, um, about five centuries before Strabo, recorded a popular legend about a possibly related courtesan named Rhodopis in his histories. So possible that this was inspired by an actual person hmm. maybe maybe we'll never know but maybe but maybe uh, so the story of Rhodopis goes that uh, while Rhodopis was bathing an eagle snatched one of her sandals and carried it to Memphis in Egypt yes not I always forget there's a Memphis <laughs> yeah. in Egypt uh, Memphis, and it makes a Egypt. lot more sense that Memphis has that dumb giant pyramid <laughs> Yeah. If you've ever been to Memphis, yeah. Tennessee, there's a giant pyramid. Uh, it's the largest pyramid in the world outside of Egypt or something. Hmm. It's got it's some weird it's thing weird. like that. It's like literally it's, the it's largest. It's very American. Yeah, it's like the largest pyramid in the world, not in Egypt or something. I could be wrong. It's some weird fact like that. Uh, but it's it's got it's got a Bass Pro Shops in it, or it used to. I don't know if it's still in there, but. Uh, so an eagle snatched one of her sandals, uh, carried it to Memphis, Egypt. And while the king was administering justice out in the open air, uh, the eagle flew over his head and flung the sandal into his lap. And the king was moved by both the beauty of the shape of the sandal and by the strangeness of the occurrence um, and sent men in all directions into the country in quest of the woman who wore the sandal. And when she was found, she was then brought to Memphis and became the wife of the king. That's the story. So, so that dude was just into feet. Maybe. And smelled a sandal. Smelled a <laughs> smelled a sandal and was like, yep, this is doing it. <laughs> Gotta find this person. But we're seeing some uh, familiar elements. Yes. Here. Yeah, yeah. Even yes. even Using already. Shoot, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, a few other ancient variations come from Persia, China, Vietnam, Cambodia, um, and there's actually a few different variations that appear in 1001 Nights, um, which for anyone who doesn't know off the top of their head, that's a collection of Middle Eastern folktales. Now, there is some debate 
that the most well-known Chinese Chinese version, um, Yijian, might be older than Rhodopis. Hmm. Um, but Rhodopis was written down first, or at least we have a surviving yes. record of it being written down first. So we can Who only knows? go with what we know. <laughs> Uh, moving forward from the oral tradition to the Western literary tradition, uh, the first literary European version of the story was published in Italy by Giambattista Basile in 1634. Uh, this version would end up being the main inspiration for what is now the most well-known version of Cinderella, Charles Perrault's Cendrillon ou la petite pantoufle de verre. It was pretty good, I think. I think it was pretty good. It was good. pretty close, yeah. Um, A.K.A. Cinderella or the Little Glass Slipper. It has a subtitle. It does, yeah. It's it's like Birdman. <laughs> it's got like a colon and <laughs> yeah. then after the Birdman or the unexpected hijinks of nonsense words. I, I don't know the whole title. It doesn't matter. Anyways. Um, so although a lot of older folktales feature recognizable elements, as we saw with Rhodopis, um, Perot's version was the first to feature the now iconic glass slipper. Mm. Some interpreters have suggested that Perot's glass slipper Pantoufle de Ver V-E-R-R, had actually been a squirrel fur slipper, Pantoufle de Ver V-A-I-R, <laughs> and in some earlier version uh, edition of the story uh, that either Perot or one of his sources confused the words. However, uh, most scholars believe that the glass slipper was a, a deliberate piece of poetic invention. By it, Perot. It feels... It feels real French. It fe yes. It's real French. It just feels like it would probably be the glass was the intention and yeah. not the, the squirrel um, first. Like kind of an interesting little fun fact, if this was, if, if it originated in the, the like, Appalachian... <laughs> or, like, Russia, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Then, sure, maybe the squirrel first slipper, but... I don't know. Another well-known European version was recorded in Germany by who else but the Brothers Grimm. In the 19th century, um, Aschenputtel, or the little ash girl, um, is recognizable as Cinderella, but much more violent than Perot's more genteel version. Um, I've talked on here before about how it's incorrect to say the original about a folktale <laughs> yeah. uh, because there's no such thing as an original version of a folktale. Um, we can have oldest known uh, or we can have most well-known, but we yeah. can't have original. Uh, and the conflation between these two like kind of main European versions is a good example of that uh, the error in that line of thinking kind of in real time. Yeah. Because if I had a dollar <laughs> for every time I've seen someone talking about Disney's Cinderella and saying, well, did you know in the original the stepsisters cut off their toes to try and fit into the slipper? No friends. <laughs> Disney's animated film is based on Perot um, and is incredibly close to Perot. Uh, so that particular bloodshed comes from Aschenputtel. There you go. I'm probably butchering that, but I'm really enjoying it sounds, saying yeah, it. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I don't know. I don't <laughs> speak German. Uh, the other most important thing to know that you, that you need to know about the history of Cinderella is that now when you say Cinderella, most people are going to think of the 1950 animated Disney film. Yep. And I have to stress that that was orchestrated <laughs> purposefully. 
Uh, the reason that Disney's classic fairy tale adaptations are so close to whichever variant they were pulling from is because Walt Disney wanted his versions to be the versions. Like his goal was to supplant older versions with his version in the collective consciousness. He succeeded. This is very Disney, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and look, I, I'm a child of the <laughs> 90s. I love Disney. I love his version of Cinderella, too. Um, and I'm not saying it's not a great movie, because yeah. I, I, it's a beautiful piece of animation. Um, but as an amateur folklorist, I have to say my bit, <laughs> which is that folktales contribute to society in a way that corporations and IP copyrights simply cannot. Um, folktales belong to the people. They're something that connects us through the ways that we are different and through the ways that we are the same. Um, so as always, if your baseline for Cinderella is the Disney film, Nothing wrong with that, but I yeah. do encourage you to seek out other variations. It's a perfectly good jumping off point. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, so I will get off my soapbox now. Um, let's talk about the elements that make a story a variation of Cinderella. Yeah, because that is interesting. I, I, I was kind of wondering, you know, when we have all these different versions during the bracket mm -hmm. that we had, it's like, where do you draw the line what, for what, what is Cinderella? What makes Cinderella <laughs> yes. Cinderella? Yeah. Let's find out. Uh, so there are seven basic elements, which I love. According to who? <laughs> that's a good round fairy tale number, um, according to folklorists. Okay. Uh, so there are seven, seven, seven basic elements that you need in order to make a Cinderella story. And the first is the name of the folktale type. You need a persecuted heroine. Seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, the protagonist needs to be down on their luck and or abused by authority figures in some way. Um, obviously, a heroine is traditional, but there are modern variations that feature different genders. Yeah. The next defining trait is the villain, the abuser, the persecutor. Again, this is typically a female authority figure. It's often a relative. Uh, stepmother and or stepsisters are traditional. Uh, but you might see versions where it's the birth mother, um, an older sister or sisters, grandmother, etc., etc. Um, and again, modern versions sometimes play a little fast and loose here, too. Trait number three is magical aid of some sort. Uh, thanks to Perot, we often see that aid appear in the form of a magical fairy godmother, but other options include various animals or natural elements like the wind or a tree, uh, or Cinderella's dead mother reincarnated as an animal or an object. Uh, some versions give Cinderella both a fairy godmother and animal helpers. Uh, variations that eliminate the magical element from the story often retrofit this aspect through um, a human mother figure or sometimes Cinderella's own wit and cunning. Okay, so it doesn't have to be magical. I was going to ask because I did a little bit of reading about Ever After yeah. when I was doing my research and supposedly there's no magic in Ever After. I have not seen it, but uh, and so it doesn't have to be magical, but... Now, I will say, like, the specific, like, magical aid that's more of part of the definition of like a folk tale okay. like what a folk tale cinderella variant is i think as we get into modernity as i've kind of been stipulating reimaginings are going right. to play fast and loose with right. this but she she receives aid of some sort okay that helps push her forward like the catalyst in the story okay right whatever it is that sends her to the ball um 
speaking of, <laughs> the next element that we need, elements technically, we need the ball, the ball gown, and the curfew. So Cinderella needs to attend at least one fancy event or party that she's been forbidden from attending by the villain, uh, usually under the guise of her being too low and dirty um, and having nothing appropriate to wear. Mm-hmm. Cue the magical aid with the magical ball gowns. Yes. Uh, the curfew is not always tied to magic, even in the folk to- even in folklore. Uh, sometimes Cinderella just leaves the ball early to try to beat her family. Which home. makes sense, yeah, yeah. If they're there, then yeah. But the important thing is she cuts out early. Yes. The next element that we have to have is the identifying item. Now, again, thanks to Perot, we most commonly see a glass slipper here. In some versions, it's still a shoe, but made of other materials. Um, For example, in Grimm's, she has slippers made of gold. It's also pretty common for the identifying item to be jewelry, um, an anklet, a ring, a bracelet. In some versions where Cinderella attends multiple balls, um, the prince might gain an item each night. So one night a ring, the next a bracelet, the next a slipper, etc., Modern versions often reinterpret this item. Um, in 2004's A Cinderella Story, she loses her cell phone. Yeah. Very 2004. Right. Uh, but the important thing is that she leaves some item behind for the prince to then identify her with, mm-hmm. which leads me to the next narrative element, which is the revelation of Cinderella's identity at the climax of the story. Now, getting to that point is usually prolonged in some way, um, often by the abusers insisting that Cinderella couldn't possibly be the one that the prince is searching for. Uh, But Cinderella will always be able to prove her identity through the aforementioned item, whether that's by proving that the item fits or by producing the matching item. Um, A lot of times she actually has like twin bracelets. Oh. If there's jewelry. Huh. So she loses one bracelet, but lo yeah. and behold, she has the matching one. And jewelry was custom made back in the day. Yeah, right. So yeah. you, you couldn't just go to Claire's, go, and, yeah, go to yeah. Claire's and get yourself yeah. uh, the matching Cinderella bracelet. And the last element that we need is the story's denouement, which sees Cinderella triumph over her abusers. Now, traditionally, she triumphs over them by marrying the prince and raising her social station. Uh, but again, that, that often gets reinterpreted, especially in modern versions that might be a little less keen to be to have uh, getting married be the ultimate right, triumph. Right. Uh, the other thing that we often see as part of the denouement is the step family reaping what they've sown. Uh, they might descend into obscurity or even poverty. They might be put to death. Wow. Um, or they just might be left with the knowledge that they could have benefited from their relationship with Cinderella had they not mistreated her. So not only uh, a flight of fanciful wish fulfillment, um, but a cautionary tale. Indeed. (laughs) Cinderella, perhaps more than any other folktale, has permeated the collective consciousness. Um, Aside from stories and books and movies, the tale has been reimagined for the stage, television, in comics and video games, uh, and basically anything you can think of. Uh, Cinderella as a character also exists outside of her own story and can be placed into other stories um, or used in other types of media. The story itself also lends plot elements, allusions, and tropes to a wide variety of media that may or may not actually be about Cinderella. 
We even have a conceptual Cinderella. Uh, the word Cinderella has, by analogy, come to mean someone whose attributes were unrecognized, who unexpectedly achieves recognition or success after a period of obscurity and neglect, i.e. a Cinderella story. Um, a phrase most often used in sports, which made our Cinderella bracket event very apropos. Indeed, there. I mean, there's a there's a sports movie called Cinderella. Yeah. Cinderella Man, I think. I but think it's Cinderella Man. Yeah, yeah. with Russell Crowe. Uh, so with that, let's talk about our bracket winner, Ever After. There you go. It's time to talk about Ever After. Then it's true, the story. Oh yes. Now then, what is that phrase you use? Once upon a time. Ever After is a 1998 film directed by Andy Tennant, also directed Fool's Go Gold, Hitch, and Sweet Home Alabama, among a handful of other things. It was written by Andy Tennant, Susanna Grant, who also wrote Pocahontas, Aaron Brockovich, and The Fifth Wave, and Rick Parks, who wrote The Secret Dare to Dream, and Big Wolf on Campus, one episode of Big Wolf on Campus, and that's like all he's ever done. Um, can I ask... You have Big Wolf on Campus styled with three exclamation yeah, marks. Yeah, I fucking that, loved that show when I was a that kid. But the title is? No. Oh, okay. I was just excited <laughs> to see that this person had written on Big Wolf on Campus, which is a show <laughs> I loved when I was uh, a pre-teen. I don't know when it came on. I think I was probably like 13 or something when mm. I saw it. It's basically Buffy, uh -huh. but... It's like a monster of the week. It's like a kid's version of Buffy hmm. where the main character is a werewolf and he fights like monsters of the week with a, a, a band of this. with like a band of like um, friends. Basically, it's it's like a it's like a it's like a it was on like ABC family or Fox mm. family or whatever the family channel was called back then. Um, I think, I think there's should, like think two or three seasons. <laughs> I have not seen it since I was a little kid, but I remember loving that show. Uh, a lot and then yeah the secret dare to dream is is wild because that's the sequel to uh the secret movie which is oh. the movie about the the nonsense like book about how if you just really want things they'll come to you <laughs> you gotta manifest yeah it. you just gotta manifest it yeah the film stars Drew Barrymore, Doug Ray Scott, Angelica Houston, Jean Moreau, Megan Dodds, Melanie Linsky, and Toby Jones, among other people. The film has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 66% on Metacritic, and a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb, and it made $98 million against a budget of $26 million. Uh, it also uh, was nominated by the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films for four awards, including Best Supporting Actress for Angelica Houston and uh, nominated for Best Music. It won for Best Actress for Drew Barrymore and Ooh. Best Costumes. And this is back before we it, we wouldn't be the regular Academy Awards would not recognize films like this. I feel like until the mid 2000s uh -huh. at the earliest, like we. There's a reason the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films existed. 
Yeah. It's because genre films just didn't make it into the Academy Awards much at all, like ever. I mean, they did occasionally, but it was rare. Did Lord of the Rings change that? It might have been Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that was a big one. I'm sure there were other ones before that, but it 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 was rare. Like mm-hmm. I said, it was. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure people can point out examples. You know, right. maybe like 2001 or something. Right. I don't. I don't know. But like, I bet there are other examples. But in general, it was incredibly rare. Whereas now, it's a lot less rare than it used to be. And yeah, I think Lord of the Rings maybe was one of the big mm-hmm. sort of turning points for that. Which would have been, yeah, like four four years after this, a couple years after this. Um, I regret to say that Big Wolf on Campus does not appear to be streaming anywhere. I believe the entire thing's on YouTube. Okay. I think. I could be wrong about that. I'm very excited. (laughs) The castle shown in the film, so many of my formative crushes (laughs) were from that (laughs) show. So Very excited. Yep. Uh, The castle shown in the film is the Chateau de Hautefort. Hote for. I don't know. It's French. I don't know. <laughs> it's spelled like hote, like yeah. like the fashion, like H A U T E. Isn't that hote? Hote? Yeah. Yeah. Hote for. Uh, and it's fort. Um, in the Dordogne region of France, a uh, very famous castle. You can look it up. It's apparently where they filmed. Or it's not a castle, but it's a big, like, estate, basically. The painting uh, of Danielle, our main character in this film, uh, I found out, was based on Leonardo da Vinci's Head of a Woman. Mm. And apparently Leonardo da Vinci is in this movie. All right. Uh, there actually wasn't much uh, in terms of, like, production notes that I could find about this movie for whatever reason. So it's IMDb uh, trivia time. So take this all with a grain of salt. Number one fact with a bullet on IMDb trivia Drew Barrymore has stated that this is the favorite of all of her films. I would believe that. I would believe it, too. I would believe that. Yeah, I would believe it, but I just, you know, who knows? <laughs> Very interesting. Apparently, the Mona Lisa shows up in this movie. Uh, and in real life, the Mona Lisa is painted on a piece of wood. Mm. But in the film, it's painted on a piece of canvas. And I love this. This IMDb trivia fact says this was done intentionally but does not go on to explain <laughs> why or what, like what <laughs> like, the purpose of doing like, it intentionally was. Like, I assume when it says this was done intentionally, they mean the movie, like, doing it incorrect. Yeah, I would assume so. And so my guess is maybe something happens with, I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. But it just says this was done intentionally and does not elaborate on why it was done intentionally or what that means. Uh, The glass slippers in the film were made by Salvatore Ferragamo. Is that, like, a famous shoe person? I guess. Just included it in case somebody knows who Salvatore Ferragamo is, because he made they made the slippers, the glass slippers in this movie. Uh, a couple other actors were considered for the role of Prince Henry uh, before Doug Ray Scott was cast and actually turned down the role. And that includes Johnny Lee Miller, who most people might know. He's uh, been in a bunch of stuff, but probably most recently, like famously, he was uh, Sherlock Holmes in the elementary show oh, okay. the one with um lucy yeah. lou i think it wasn't lucy lou yeah that? i think so yeah. i never watched that on uh, like my parents watched that show they, they enjoyed it i don't mm. know it was on like cbs or something uh and jude law apparently turned down the role as well uh, so the film is included on the uh afi's 2002 list of 400 movies that were nominated for the top 100 greatest American love story movies. I think this one was like number like 40 or something. It was on the list of top 100 uh, of, of America's greatest love story films. Interesting. So there you go. Now we've got a couple reviews to get to, including in a minute, one from the all-time great. <laughs> he 
your best friend. Yes, the bestie. Uh, first up, we have Elisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly, who gave the film a B minus and said, quote, against many odds, Ever After comes up with a good one. This novel variation is still set in the once upon a time 16th century, but it features an active 1990s style heroine. She argues about uh, economic theory and civil rights with her royal suitor rather than a passive exploited hearth sweeper who warbles a dream is a wish your heart makes. Ooh. End quote. Ooh, Roasting. We got that. We got that 90s feminist take yep. on Cinderella. Yep. Uh, and then, as always, at least for films before 2000, whatever year he died, <laughs> uh, from the Chicago Sun-Times, film critic Roger Ebert praised the film, giving it three out of four stars and mm-hmm. saying, quote, The movie is one of surprises, not least that the old tale still has life and passion in it. I went to the screening expecting some sort of soppy children's picture and found myself in a costume romance with some of the same energy and zest as The Mask of Zorro. And I was reminded again that Drew Barrymore can hold the screen and involve us in her characters. Here's the little cinder girl. She is able to at last put aside her bedraggled losers and flower as a fresh young beauty. And she brings poignancy and fire to the role. All right. I don't know who the bedraggled losers are. <laughs> I assume he means maybe like the stepsisters in the. I don't know. He, he could mean, or he or it could be a reference to like, because she had a rough time yeah, for a while. That's what it I was wondering. If, I, I couldn't tell if that was a reference to Drew Barrymore yeah, or the or character the, in the movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't I sure. Know. I don't know either. Uh, Roger Ebert, fan of Drew Barrymore. Apparently. Apparently. Yep. Uh, and a fan of The Mask of Zorro. Apparently. Which, which is a very good, very fun movie, to be fair. It's it's a very, and, you know, if you like your uh, your Pirates of the Caribbeans, your your uh, Princess Brides, you will enjoy The Mask of Zorro. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember. I don't think I've ever seen it. We I remember liking it. it quite a bit. It's pretty fun. Um, I don't know how it holds up, but it, we'll see. Anyways. Before we wrap up, we want to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash this film is it, supporting us there, and by following us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all those places, you get to to respond, and uh, we get to talk about it in our prequel episodes. Katie, where can people watch Ever After? Well, as always, you can check with your local library, or if you still have a local video rental store, you can check with them. I feel like odds are probably pretty good that you can find this one. Yeah, it would seem like a solid yeah. chance. Yeah. Um, or you can stream this with a subscription to Stars, Stars through Amazon, Stars through Roku, DirecTV, or Spectrum TV. Or you can rent it for around $4 through Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Voodoo Fandango, AMC Theaters on Demand, Redbox, or DirecTV. Lots of places. Mm. Lots of places to watch it. Uh, I'm excited to check it out. I've never seen this. Like I said, I just, for whatever reason, is one of those ones that I missed. I've also not seen the other, the runner-up, which yeah. we'll, we'll, you didn't mention, but we'll yeah, be doing we'll, that. Yeah, we will be talking about, uh, the runner-up was the 1997 Brandy version of Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Yes. Um, so we will be watching the runner-up and doing a bonus episode on our Patreon yes. for that. We'll be talking about that one. So uh, I'm excited to see both, because I've never seen either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen, we, we'll we talk about this, we went and saw a live version of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical yeah. uh, of cinderella um but obviously still different than the movie version you know everybody makes their changes to it but 
I am excited to watch Ever After because I've never seen it. I like Drew Barrymore. Like mm-hmm. every time I see her in something, I think she's good. <laughs> I don't. So I haven't seen a lot of movies with Drew Barrymore, but I usually enjoy her when I do. And I am interested to see what this movie does with the tale because mm-hmm. I always I do find it fascinating seeing the ways that um, that storytellers modernize sort of very traditional yeah, very tales old, very traditional stories yeah, yeah for i always sure. think that's fun so i'm looking forward to that and we'll be talking about it in one week's time and until that time guys gals and non-binary pals and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being, being awesome, awesome.